Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. And uh, kind of a crazy morning with everything that's... uh, going on around and all the people traveling and the snow and everything, but we're glad that you made it out. It doesn't matter who's not here, it only matters who is here, and uh, the Holy Spirit is here with us today, the Lord is here. Man, I've sensed His presence today. It's been a really awesome, awesome time, and I I just want to spend some time together and just uh, ask Him to take over, just to be in charge this morning. So let's just pray together right now. Father, I'm just uh, so thankful for what you do. That you are always good. As the kids sang to us this morning, you are always good. There's never a time when I have known you to be anything but absolutely good in our lives. And and Lord, we just give you praise for that. We just thank you for the fact that you love us and that you have poured yourself out into us and that you care for us like you do. I'm thankful this morning, Lord, that you're here with us, that right now your Holy Spirit is here with us, not just in a way of of you're always here with us, but Lord, that you are manifesting yourself, that you are showing up, and that right now we have sensed your presence, that you have ministered to our soul, that you have met us here, and you have, uh, you have spoken to me this morning. Lord, I am so thankful that the grave was only borrowed for three days, that it is not a permanent place, that you did not die, and that you are not still in a grave somewhere, but that you are risen from the dead, and that you're alive, that there is a resurrection, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. So Lord, right now, just help us to put aside everything else and to begin to lay down all the things that, that keep our attention. Lord, we, we see so many things and so much that goes on, and, and I know that we're busy and we've got thoughts and we've got everything going on, but right now, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be front and center, and that you would be prominent, and that we could set aside all the things, all the stuff, all the going on that'll happen the rest of the day and for just these moments lord we could just let you have absolute control and that you would just speak to us and that we would hear you lord we want you to become the most important thing in our lives we want you to dominate and to rule over all the other stuff that we get into our lives so often because lord right now unless you're in the middle of it if you're not taking over if you aren't front and center, Lord, we're going to miss out. Because you have so much planned for us. You have so much life planned for each one of us. But Lord, it's going to take all of us, it takes all of us saying, yes, Lord. So Lord, I pray that you will create a hunger and a thirst in our hearts for you. That you will begin to create a hunger in our hearts, something that cannot be satisfied by anything from the world. God, we need you. We're not here just to go through emotion. We're not here just to to do something that to get it off our list for the week or we are here to hear from you so lord come manifest yourself in such a tangible way that we will have no doubt that we met with you we love you we praise you lord thank you in jesus name we pray amen amen one quick announcement uh guys there will be we will be doing our uh, men's breakfast at eight o'clock on thursday morning at Bruner's, and uh, would love to have you come and be a part of that. Just a reminder of that. I think that it's kind of gotten forgotten a couple times, and, and we want to make sure that you know about it, and, and uh, we're planning on being here for that, and it'll be a, 
a good time together and uh, looking forward to that. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John chapter 11. And I'm going to hit on a very familiar story. We're going to start in verse 1 and go down through it. And, and it's a very familiar story. Uh, we're talking about resurrection. And that's what uh, these next few weeks we're going to be talking about leading up to Easter. Resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do. And I believe that one day we will all be raised to be with him. And I am looking forward to that. Uh, let, me, let me start off and read part of the story. I'm not going to read it all right now. We'll kind of pick it up and go back down through it. So keep it open or you can follow along on the board up here. But uh, starting in verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's the story of resurrection. You know, I had a, and I've told some of this story before, but, you know, bear with me because it just really works for this. But uh, uh, when I was in seminary, I bought an old TR4, Triumph TR4. It's a two-seat Roadster uh, car. Uh, I bought it out of a guy's yard. He, it was sitting in his yard. It was under a carport, sitting there. It had been sitting there probably something like eight or nine years and had not been started. It was just sitting there. Uh, when I got it, I, I hooked onto it with a, my other car and a chain, and I pulled it back out of there after I paid for it, and the front wheels slid. They didn't roll anymore. They had frozen up. They were completely, the rotors had frozen. It, was, it wouldn't move. It just sat there. And so I drug it out, and we drug it all the way home. Somewhere along the way, on the way home, they started turning again. I'm not sure when, because it sounded like squealing noise up till that point, and then they started turning after a while. Um, so we got it home. And uh, it sat there, but it was dead. It was completely, absolutely dead. We began to work on it and begin to tear things apart and put things back together. And we spent quite a bit of time and energy and a little money to get it going. And after a while, one day, put a little gas in the tank and changed everything out, cranked it over, and it sparked back to life and it began to run. And it wasn't that long until I had it all back together. And I remember one night I was out driving and there was no one around and it was on a long country road that was very nice and, well, you know, anyway, we went very fast. It, it, it did over 100 miles an hour. This car that had been dead was suddenly able to go 100 miles an hour. It had been resurrected. That which was dead was now resurrected. It ran. Every time I cranked the key, it would start up. I could drive it down the road. I could shift the gears. It had been dead but it was now alive again. And you all know what dead means, right? I mean, I don't want to be insensitive here, but we've all witnessed death. That which was a person, which was living, which was breathing and able to get up and walk around and talk and think and interact with us now lies still. The breath is gone. Functioning forms of life are all gone. It's now just a form of what was life. It lies there and there's no life in it. It's dead. So the story today is a story about life and death, and it's about resurrection. Jesus was told that Lazarus was seriously ill. He, he was sick, and uh, they had sent word to him. They said, Jesus, uh, you know, our brother's sick. We know you love him. 
can you do something about this? And, and it's interesting because he looks at them after the illness ends, or after the announcement ends, and he looks at them and he says something like this. Well, it's not going to end in death. And then he goes right back to doing what he's doing. He says it's not going to die. He's not going to die. He's going to be okay. And, and he just goes back to doing what he does. He doesn't stress out. He doesn't drop everything and run towards him. He just says this illness will not end in death. And my thought was, why is Jesus so calm in the midst of this? Because, I mean, if somebody told me that my good friend so-and-so, Danny or Mark or somebody like that, was going to die, I would be concerned. I would go, oh, man, they're sick. We've got to do something. We've got to make sure that they're okay. But he doesn't do that. He just simply goes back to his business. And it's because of this. And there's a, there's a simple reason, I think, that, that this happened it's because Jesus knows the heart and the will of the Father. I want you to hear me on this because this is an important principle that we oftentimes miss out on. He knew the heart and the will of the Father. And here's the deal. Jesus chooses to listen for the voice of the Father and to be absolutely obedient to the voice. He isn't doing life here on earth by himself and then hoping the Father will bless it. He's not kind of in tune with the Father a little bit, but he really isn't sure. He knows what the Father wants. He hears the voice of the Father and he does what the Father instructs him to do. Can I tell you that right now our lives would change if we would begin to listen for the voice of the Father? If we would listen for the voice of the Father and we can hear his voice. So all of this is simply in his father's hands, and it's simple, and it's not worrisome because he knows what the father has said. He trusts his father. The father said, this is the way it's going to end. It's not going to end in death, and so Jesus is good with that because he believes in the father, and he trusts him. Now, the 12 knew Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and Jesus had spent serious time with them. There had been a lot of good things. And so the disciples had to figure that this illness wasn't that serious, that Jesus wasn't that concerned. And so, you know, Jesus didn't rush over to Lazarus' house, so they just go about doing their business. And then they wait two days. And now two days into this, Jesus says, hey, guys, um, I think we need to go see Lazarus. We need to go over there. I need to go wake him up. I thought about this. I realize this, that if Jesus, or if Jesus wanted to, he could have healed Lazarus. He could have gone there and he could have touched his body and healed him before he died. No doubt about that. But he waited. Look what Jesus said. He said, the sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. The reason is so that Lazarus would die. He left him there so that he would die. You can know, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. Yeah, he did. He left him sick so that he would die. In fact, he left him sick long enough that he'd be put in a grave and he'd begin to decompose. I know it's getting a little weird now, but it's true. He wanted him to be a little juicy, a little runny. He did that for a reason also. He did that so that God would be glorified. In reality, Jesus was doing what he always did. He was just listening to his father, and he's following his instructions. John 14, 31 says this. Jesus is talking. He says, I love the father, and I do exactly what my father has commanded me. Simple as that. 
John 8, 28, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. He's listening for the voice. He's listening for the voice. He's listening for the voice. And when he hears the voice, he does what the voice tells him to do. If we would get busy and begin to live our lives that way, if we would begin to listen for the voice, we'll find ourselves in a whole lot less messes. We'll find ourselves in a whole lot better place. Jesus only did what he saw his father do. He could only do what he knew his father wanted him to do. And Jesus loves Lazarus. Oh, he's his friend and he loves him. But here's the deal. He loves Jesus, loves his father more. God's more important to him than his friend Lazarus. See, we struggle with that one right there. A lot of us are struggling with that whole idea that someone is more, or that God is more important than someone in our lives. And so if we're not careful, we make that someone the most important thing in our lives. And I see a lot of people doing that with their family. I see a lot of people doing that with a girlfriend or boyfriend. Even a husband and wife need, need to be careful with that. I love Darcy, but I love God more. I have to. Amen. His father told him to wait, so he waited. He also waited because his father told him he would use the situation to bring glory to him. Do you ever wonder what he meant when he said he'd bring glory to him? You know, that sounds sort of weird, like he's going to let him die so he can bring him glory, and that seems sort of like God is a kind of a mean, nasty person kind of, kind of God. And, you know, I've heard people recently talking about how God in the Bible is just a horrible God, and he kills people and all this stuff. And, and it kind of sounds like that, but here's the deal. Almost all the people in Judea at this point believe Jesus can heal. His reputation is going before him. Nobody doubts that. They see him do it all the time. The proof is everywhere. There's people who were blind that are now seeing. There's people that couldn't walk that are walking. There's people who had leprosy that aren't have leprosy anymore. There's people who were demon-possessed and the demons are gone. There's people who couldn't hear. Now they can hear and they can speak. And so they understood and they believed in Jesus' healing power and they all knew that he was a prophet sent by God. They, uh, prophets had been in Jerusalem before and brought healing. If you go back and you read the story of Elijah, he healed and he actually raised a kid from the dead. So this is not a brand new phenomenon. And, and so they, they believe he is a prophet sent by God, but, but God, Jesus' father, wanted to raise the bar he wanted them to understand. He wanted to demonstrate for them so they could understand. He wanted to show the world who Jesus really was. They didn't know that Jesus was far more than just a prophet. And there was only one way for him to demonstrate who Jesus was. Because, see, healing people is a big deal. But as I said, others had done that. Calming storms is a big deal. If you're with somebody who can tell the storm to stop and it stops, that's a big deal. But it's still not everything. Feeding 5,000 people from a few breadcrumbs and some fish is a pretty big deal, but it's not big enough. God wants to take the level now all the way to the very top. He wants to go to the very, very top. And to do that, he had Jesus, God wants Jesus reveal himself through some demonstrations of power. So there's a purpose in what God's asking Jesus to do. And one of the lessons we can learn from this right now is this, that God is not allowing or causing you to go through tough times just for the fun of it. Some of you here are going through some really rough times, physically. I know some of you are having some physical issues. I know some of you are going through some marital issues. I know some of you are going through some family issues. I know that you're going through all kinds of things. There is a purpose in what God is asking you to do. He's not allowing you to go through it just because he thinks it's fun. He's allowing or even causing you to go through the fire to refine you so that he can use you and your situation to demonstrate his power and his might. 
And when we undercut that, when we run away from that place that God has us, when we get out of that and we walk away from it and say, I don't want to go through that, we are stopping what God wants to do. And God wants to use your life in the midst of the world that you live in to demonstrate his power so that he can show his manifest power and people will come to him. Jesus said this situation wasn't going to end in death. And even when Lazarus died, and that seems sort of weird, he says it's not going to end in death, and yet Lazarus died, Jesus stays right on track. See, here's the deal. Our situations are probably not going to kill us. I mean, most of you here, your situation may not, probably won't kill you. It might, but it probably won't. But here's the deal. Even if your situation that you're in right now does kill you, God has a plan to use that situation to reveal himself to others. So don't get discouraged and don't give up. Just keep moving forward. God's got it. Second thing is this. Jesus arrived at what seemed like too little and too late at Lazarus, Mary, and Martha's house. Have you ever been there in your life? Just a little too little and a little too late. If Jesus would just have gotten involved in this a little earlier, if he would have heard this just a little earlier, if my kids were not so old and were still small, I would change how I did things. If I were not so old, I'd get involved in the work that God has laid out for me. Here's the deal. I don't need to know everything Jesus has planned for my life, but I need to trust that Jesus is listening to his Father, number one, that he has a plan to use my situation for good, and when he does, he will be revealed and glorified through me. Listen to these words and start them back up in verse 7 in, in, in uh, the John there where I have you turn. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Now Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them this plainly. He said, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Skip down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am, hear these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. She didn't quite get it. She was trying to believe, but she didn't understand everything. She's hanging on. And after she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus shows up at Lazarus' home, and his sisters are both like, you're too late. You could have healed him. You could have changed everything. They, like we usually do, are seeing the small need. They're looking at the small picture. 
Their brother was sick. Their brother needed healing. Jesus could heal. If he'd have showed up, their brother would not have died. But God is showing Jesus something else. He's showing him a big picture. He's telling him, go raise Lazarus, not from a sickness, but go raise him from the dead. Blow their minds. Demonstrate to them who you are. Speak life into them. Now, see, all Mary and Martha could see was their grief and pain right now. They're sitting there in their grief and their pain, and they're just hurting all over the place. We've been there. I've been there. You've been there. And for the life of you, you can't see the big picture at that point, and that's where they were at. And when Jesus gets to their house, he finds out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Let me set the situation for you here, because you've got to get this, because I've heard people say some of the silliest stuff about this. Lazarus was not asleep. He wasn't comatose. He wasn't in suspended animation. He was dead, stinking, decomposing, no breath, blood stopped flowing, brain not working, dead, completely, lights out, finished. And on top of all that, they had wrapped him up in grave clothes, which they wrapped tightly around him like a mummy kind of thing, picked him up and laid him in a tomb and rolled a big stone over it and left him there. Four days, four days he had been laying there dead. And Jesus is telling them this. Hear me out. Put yourself in their situation. Four days. And Jesus says, oh, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's a tough one right there. That's a tough one. Trust me. Hard to do for the sisters in grief. Hard for us to do in our grief. Again, Jesus' full trust is in his Father. He knows what his Father's told him. He knows what his Father's telling him to do. And he knows this, and he says, I got it. It's going to be okay. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says Jesus wept. Now remember, Jesus was there for a purpose. He wasn't there just because, and he wasn't even there for Lazarus. He was there because his Father told him, obey me, go, do this. Is it, here's the deal. If his father would have said to him, look, leave Lazarus, 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 leave Lazarus in the grave, leave him there, Jesus would have left him in the grave. Oh, he loved him. He was his friend. But if his father said, do this, he's going to leave him in the grave. He's not going to call him out on his own accord. See, Jesus is there for one reason, to bring glory to his father by doing his will. That's his only purpose in all of everything he ever did. That's the point we sometimes don't get. We think Jesus was there to do something for us. Jesus did what he did to glorify his Father. Jesus is there to demonstrate, to show them who he really is. And by showing them who he is, he's going to bring glory to his Father. But Jesus sees all the Jews weeping and mourning the loss of Lazarus. He sees the sorrow of Mary and Martha. He's troubled in his spirit. And it says his heart breaks. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I looked that up. The word for troubled used here in the Greek is actually translated like this. He was angry and ticked off. I love that. Jesus was angry and ticked off. A lot of people say, oh, you know, he's Jesus, walks around meek and mild. No, he was, he was just mad. He was ticked. He's angry at what Satan has done. Are you angry about what Satan has done in the world? Because I don't think most of us are. I think we walk around and go, oh, well, it's just the way things are. No, it's not. No, it's not. The world is like it is because Satan is tearing it apart because sin is wrecking things. 
And we should be angry about sin. Sin should just make us mad enough that we, we want to just yell and scream and holler and do something. He's angry that sin has destroyed everything he's created. Have you ever made something and maybe gave it to someone and then they just kind of like destroy it and you look at it when you go to their house and you're going, wow, nice. Glad I spent all that time on your stuff. You know, that's how he feels. He's looking at it and he's going, man, I made this beautiful world. I made this great place. And now you just, Satan's just tearing it apart. He's wrecking it. He's, he's ruining everything. He's angry at the loss of hope that people feel. You ever feel like there's no hope in your life? You should be angry about that. The only reason you feel no hope is because Satan is convincing you that Jesus isn't enough. He's angry that death seems to have won. Are you angry about death? We ought to be angry. When we go to funerals, we should be angry about it. Because, man, people shouldn't have to die. When he sees the tomb where Lazarus is buried, it says that Jesus weeps. And i got to believe he didn't weep over Lazarus necessarily. He was weeping over the sins of the world. He weeped over the sins of the world. He wept over the curse of sin, which is death. There are two times in the New Testament where Jesus weeps. One is here, and the other one was when he looked at Jerusalem, and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he weeps over Jerusalem because he said, I came to you, and you could have had everything, but you, you rejected me. And he weeps over them. And both times that Jesus weeps or cries in Scripture, he's not crying over his own pain. He's weeping over sin. And we sit here and go, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just sin. And we sit in church and it doesn't make any difference. And you preach this and everybody goes, whatever. And Jesus weeps over sin. He's not crying over his own pain. He's weeping over sin. Sin horrifies Jesus. He recognizes it for what it is. Sin is not just, I made a mistake. Sin is a blatant disregard for everything that God made. It's a blatant disobedience to what God commands. It's a decision to do your own thing and, and, and go your own way and put God on the back burner. And Jesus knows that when you do that, it's going to cost you everything. Jesus knows that the wages of sin is death, and he weeps, because it's death for you, it's death for me, it's death for the world that he made, and he weeps, and he's in agony over what our sin and our disobedience is doing to this world, and those he created to live with him, and in relationship to him, and in fellowship with him. And he weeps over the price that he will have to pay for our sins. The Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind and kept this, he who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. The Lord said, Martha, the Mary, the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. So if you don't think he was really dead, she did. 
And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, Jesus sees the tomb and he sees the big old rock in front. And Jesus says, now roll back the stone. That's a big ask. For him to do that is huge. There's a lot of questions and a lot of reasons not to do this. First of all, they're Jewish people. And any contact with anyone who is dead is going to defile them. And that's going to result in a long purification process. By, uh, and during that time, they wouldn't be allowed to worship and be in community. They would be off on their own. And besides, it was way too late. He's dead, and they all understood what dead means. You don't go out to a graveyard after the dirt is on the pile and say, oh, I think I'm going to dig them back up. It's just not something we do. And it seemed like a desecration of the tomb. What would people think? And what if Jesus couldn't raise Lazarus? I have to believe all those thoughts are going flashing through the minds of Mary and Martha. But here's the deal. Mary and Martha believed. And they trusted Jesus enough to take the first step. And they ordered the stone be moved away. And those who were there looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And they said, move it. And they did because the sisters asked him to. They trusted in Jesus enough to do what he asked. And here's the key. They trusted enough to do what he asked they trusted enough you don't have to have perfect trust you have to trust enough to do what the father asked you to do jesus had a big plan he had received from the father he was going to raise lazarus from the dead he was going to demonstrate something that is very important here he was going to demonstrate that he is the giver of life but mary and martha's obedience was required for them to see god move they had to act. They had to do what they were asked to do. They had to be obedient. They had to be in tune with what Jesus was about. They had to listen to him, and they had to act. And I wonder how many miracles and blessings we could have if we just simply said, yes, I don't understand. I'm not sure I get it, but if you want me to move the stone, then I'll go move the stone. What might happen in your life? What might happen in my life if we just move the stone? I know the situation stinks, but I'm going to trust him because he said to move the stone and I believe him. So I'm going to move the stone. If he asks and I said, yes, I'll trust him, then I'll say yes and trust him and I'll, I'll, I'll give him my money. Oh, Mark, quit meddling. I forgot. I'm not supposed to say money in church anymore. If he says he wants me to move and go, then I'll go. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. If he tells me to stay, I'll stay. If he asks me to leave my family and friends, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'll do it if he asks me to go because that's what I'm supposed to do. If he asks me to go to someone and say something to them, I'll go. Even if I'm afraid, I'll say something to them because he asked me to do it. When we're willing to be obedient, when we're willing to do what the Holy Spirit convicts us of, we will. Now, I didn't say we might. You need to hear me clear on this because this is the most important thing I'm going to say. We will get to see the miracles of God 
We'll get to see what He wants to do right now in us and with us and in our church. I believe there's miracles and miracles and miracles waiting to happen in your life, things that you can't even begin to fathom or imagine right now. And most of them are getting stopped simply because we won't move the stone. We won't get up and move the stone. I believe if we'll get up and move the stone, our kids are going to get saved. I believe if we'll move the stones, our neighbors are going to meet Jesus. And I believe if we move the stone, God is going to get glorified. And I believe if we move the stone, we'll live in blessing and God in blessings that God has planned for us that are beyond measure. I believe if we would move the stone in Muncie, the church would come alive. And I believe if we'd move the stone, our faith will allow us to see the resurrection God has planned for us as individuals. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone. And he said, take away the stone. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that you may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his feet and his hands wrapped with linen, strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus asked them to have the stone rolled away. Martha says, Jesus, it's been four days. He's, st- he's rotting, he stinks, but she trusts him. And I think Jesus wanted to hear her say that. He wanted all those around to hear her say this. He wanted people to understand that Lazarus wasn't just dead, he was decomposing. He stinks. He needed to hear that. They needed to hear that. And then Jesus does something amazing. He calls Lazarus from the grave. He called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now I want you to notice something that Jesus uses Lazarus' name. As far as I know, Lazarus was the only one in the grave that day. But Jesus uses his name. And I think there's a reason for this. St. Augustine said this. He said, Jesus used Lazarus' name because if he had just come out, every person who had ever lived and died on the face of the earth would have got up and walked around. Because Jesus is the voice of life. When he says, come out, the graves open and we come out. And there will be a day when he's going to just get up and say, all right, come out. And it's going to happen, man. People are going to get up everywhere. Every foot, every foot, every eyeball, every hand, every person that's ever lived on the face of this earth is going to get up and walk. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and life. And he proves it. He speaks life into Lazarus and the cells that have been decomposing compose. And blood begins to pump and the heart starts to beat. And the temperature goes to 98.6. And eyes get open and ears hear the voice. And somehow still wrapped in grave clothes, Lazarus emerges from the grave. Walks out. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. Let him go. And I think that's a very important part of this story. And I want to help you with that. See, Lazarus was alive, but he was bound up by grave clothes. It's when we take off the grave clothes and let whatever Christ has resurrected go that the miracles begin to happen. Because a lot of us, we want to see certain things happen. We say, oh, that'll be nice if that happens, but we never really want to unwrap it. We never want to take off the grave clothes. We want to keep it kind of bound up in case it gets a little out of hand. I wondered as I read this through over and over how many things Jesus has resurrected but we fail to set free in our lives. Jesus calls things to life but we forget 
the past and we set it and, and he calls us to call things to life and to forget the past and to set things free see the things Jesus resurrects are not just fixed up they're brand new see resurrection is the power to bring life back into something that's died to make it new things like marriage relationships and romance See, I think right now that a lot of people are walking around and their marriages are all busted up and broken, and Jesus wants to call them out of the grave. But if he does, then you got to take the grave clothes off the marriage. And you got to get, by that I mean you've got to quit looking at the past, keeping records of wrongs, pointing out everything she used to do, everything he's done in his past, and you got to get rid of the grave clothes and let the resurrection happen. Maybe a relationship with a child. You're sitting there and Jesus has called that child back to life in your life, but you're still holding what they did in the past against them. Or maybe with a parent. Maybe you're still looking at your mom and your dad and you're saying, but you know, when I was a kid, you fill in the blanks. They were broken and maybe dead, but Jesus has called them back to life and he says, take off the grave clothes and set them free. Jesus wants to use his resurrection power to bring life to what Satan has tried to kill. He wants to resurrect your dead, broken marriage to reveal or manifest his presence to your church family or your family. You know what? When we start seeing marriages get healed, there will be people from out there who will come in and say, I want to see that. Amen? See, Jesus allows us to go through tough times. He's allowing you to go through some tough times in your life so that you can experience his power when we realize that it had to be him and there's no way we could do it, we go, wow, that was Jesus. I believe that. So therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha and seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. When we participate and allow Jesus to resurrect our lives, he gets the glory, and people come to him. Resurrection draws people. I'm telling you right now, when Jesus came out of that grave, people were drawn to him. Amen? See, in your life and mine, there are people who are hurt, and they have hurt us, and they've messed up our lives and our situations, and we feel like we're just too broken. Those relationships are just too broken for God to resurrect. Those situations are just too broken for God to resurrect. And, and I've taken some of my relationships that are broken, and I've put them in a grave, and I've rolled a stone over them. Anybody here relating to what I'm talking about? Somebody you used to love, somebody you used to talk to, somebody you used to care about, but you've kind of said, ah, oh, man, it hurts too much. And so you put them in a grave and you rolled a stone over it. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're still married to the guy, but, you know, in a way you've shoved him in the grave and you put the stone over it and said, I'm not going to let him hurt my feelings anymore. And then you moved on, but now you hear Jesus saying to you, go back, move the stone. Move the stone. And Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. His voice is life. If you'll take the chance and move the stone, Jesus will call that which is dead and rotten in your life to come back to life. See, I think that Jesus wants me, he wants you to live every day in the power of the hope of the resurrection. Let me tell you about that. In resurrection, there's no fear. There's no concern. There's no worry Jesus died, went to a grave, and the grave couldn't hold the author of life. If he could defeat death himself, then he can defeat death in any situation that you're living in right now. And he has defeated the curse of sin and death. 
And he's called us to come out of our spiritual graves. And he's called us to be free. And he's called us to have no fear. And the reason we have no fear, because we know the ending. We know the ending. There's a day coming, he's going to call, and everyone is going to be raised. One side's going to be raised to go be with him forever, the other to be raised to eternal condemnation. But they're going to be raised. There's not going to be anyone left in the grave. He's going to raise them all. That's what it says in the Word, and I believe that. I think we need to listen to that. I think there's some of us today, and I know it's getting a little late, a little long, and I'm sorry about that, but I tell you what, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me about this all week and for a while now, and, and I just feel like right now there's people that just need to come up out of your grave. You need to get out of your spiritual grave. You know, the, speaking, the Lord is speaking to your hearts, and you need to say, you know what, I need to come alive. I need to take the grave clothes off. I need to begin to let God do something in me and with me. You've got to deal with some situations, some relationships that are in a grave, and God's trying to call them back to life, and you need to do it. Get the crap off. Take off the grave clothes. Set it free so that it can live. That's the only hope we got. That's where, that's where it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's where it's going to happen, and that's when people are going to notice. That's when God's going to make a difference. Tired of sitting in church, and nothing ever happens, and we go, oh, well, that was nice. I don't want nice church anymore. I want to see some dead people get up and walk. I really do. I want to see some dead things come back to life. I want to see some people who've been sleeping through church for years come to life and go, you know what? It's time for me to do what God wants me to do and get up and go. I believe he's calling some of you to that today. I really do. I want you to stand. We're going to sing. The altars are open. If you want to pray, whatever God's calling you to do, I just ask you to do it right now. Amen. 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 You know, I just really believe that a lot of us are are still in some graves. We're still caught in some things. We've got some things tucked away that God is trying to change. He's trying to call us back into life, calling us out of that grave, calling us to get those relationships out of that grave, calling us to, to, to get back into ministry, to go back to work, go back and do the things that God has called us to do. Amen. I just really believe that. I'm thankful for those who are here this morning, and, and we're just going to pray with them right now. I'm going to pray you're dismissed to go after that, but if you want to stay and pray, we'd love to have you do that too. But, uh, you know, I'm telling you right now, God is calling our church out of the grave. It's time to get back into what he wants us to do, to become the church he wants us to become. He wants us to be a demonstration of his glory and of his power. Amen. Father, right now, I praise you. I thank you for the truth of the message this morning. Lord, it rocks my heart. And I believe today that that is a that you have spoken to me and that you've called me to get up out of the grave, that you've called me to get some things out of the grave, to get the grave clothes off some things. Lord, I've for too long been trying to, to please too many people. My job is not to please people. My job is to please you, to bring glory and honor to my Savior. And that's my plan for the rest of my life, to bring glory and honor to you no matter what. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to do that. And God, I pray that for each one of us, that we would glorify you with our lives. Whatever that means, whatever grave we're in, whatever things we have put in graves that you want to resurrect, Lord, to bring glory and honor to you, that people might see you, that the world might realize that you are still alive and that your manifest power is still available if we'll just let you move in us and through us. 
So, Lord, have your way today. Lord, right now, here at this altar, there are people praying, people seeking you. Lord, I don't know what all is going on in every life here, but you do. And God, I am asking right now that you would just be with them and that they would find you. Lord, I don't know what's going on in people's lives in the pews. I don't know what's going on in marriages. I don't know what's going on in hearts. But God, you do. And you're calling us out of the grave. So Lord, right now, speak life into each one of us. Speak life. We'll hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.